filled with conflict. And there are men, women, out on behalf of our nation who are seeking uh, to do right, to protect. And Lord, in, in their mind and heart, they, I know that many of them are determined to try to protect the liberty that we enjoy. Lord, I pray that you'd protect them this morning. And it's a time, Lord, where we pray for the coming of the day of peace. Someday, Father, we know that you'll intervene in this world and the Prince of Peace will rule. Lord, we look forward to that day, but until then, Lord, give us good judgment, give our nation good judgment, and protect our soldiers, soldiers from all nations who who are placed into harm's way, sometimes not of their own choice. God protect them, we pray, and thank you for them. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we have been since September 9th, can you believe it, in this little series uh, that started out for a few weeks on where did that come from. And this morning we're intending to wrap it up um, you know, the Bible is the ongoing revelation of something that's indescribable. You can't describe God, and you can't describe the beginning of God, because it's beyond our little uh, human minds. But it, it's about a person who depends on nothing outside of himself. Well, that in itself is beyond our understanding. Someone who doesn't need anything outside of himself for his existence. It's about a person who has absolute authority and is without equal and without rival. That's our God. And once again, that's hard for us to fathom. And it's about a person who's sufficient for every challenge, no matter what it is, he's sufficient, every challenge and every need. We began in uh, where you'd think of beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That itself makes no sense. I think the first message I brought was unbegun beginning. And you know, if you type in unbegun beginning, you know, you get a spell check. You know how they, uh, they highlight everything in red that's misspelled? Well, unbegun isn't a word because uh, it, it stands opposed to itself within the word. If it's, if it's begun, then it can't be unbegun. It just doesn't make sense. But that's because our human minds can't, get, can't grasp the idea that there is one who had no beginning. So unbegun beginning describes him the same as uncaused cause. I didn't try to type that in, but my suspicion is that you would get a spell check on an uncaused cause. Uh, he's without beginning, and he's without end. And so we started with in the beginning God in the beginning God and that's where we start this morning in in the beginning God and then we're going to see where it goes from there without God's revelation without him revealing himself as we have it through scripture we would have no hope of knowing him because he exists in a realm that if he had not revealed himself through Scripture, uh, through the Holy Spirit, and through Jesus, we wouldn't have any way to know him. God condescended to reveal himself. 
And if you think for a moment, if he created the world, and he did, and if he created it, doesn't it stand to reason that he would communicate with his creation? And he did. And so we, we have his communication, his revelation of himself before us. And, and I think the scripture is that special revelation that God gave to mankind so we could know him. There are really, as i thinking this through this week, there are really only three explanations for the existence of life and the material world. I think there's only three. You can ponder it with me, and you might come up with another, but I don't know what it would be. The first one is that it was self-created, some sort of spontaneous generation, that it came from itself, but that would require it to be here. I don't think that works. The second is that it was created by someone or something outside of itself. You follow me? Is that this, everything that we see, including ourselves, that either we came through some sort of spontaneous generation or else we were created by someone or something outside of ourselves. And the third is that this thing is eternal. In and of itself, it's eternal. And, and that goes in the face of everything observable that we see. Uh, nothing is eternal, and nothing comes from nothing, from everything we see. Now, if you're thinking with me a minute, you might want to challenge that. Because I said in the beginning, God. And if nothing comes from nothing, where'd God come from? You follow me? Yeah. Anybody want to challenge that? Where'd God come from? And that's the challenge of mankind through the ages, is that where did God come from? Well, when God reveals himself <clears throat> from the very beginning of Scripture, he simply says, in the beginning, God. It is a given that he exists, and we can accept it or we can reject it. But he never argues for his existence. I think in particular, of as he revealed himself through history, um, this God who is self-existent and self-sufficient. Moses in, in Exodus 3, I, we've referred to this passage. I'm going to read just a little bit of it this morning. But in Exodus 3, Moses is, is going to the people on behalf of God. And listen to this conversation. I'm in Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Pretty reasonable question. Uh, he says, I'm going to go to these people, and I'm going to say, God sent me. And they're going to say, who's God, and what's his name? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. What an answer. That is no answer. That's no explanation. It is simply a statement of his existence. And you know, Moses had the choice. He could believe I am, or he could reject him. And the people of Israel had a choice. They could, they could believe that the one who exists, I am that I am, they could believe that he's their God, or they could reject him. They had a choice, and mankind has always had that choice. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, 
I am has sent me to you. I am is the self-existent one. And you, you've probably heard this, but when they recorded the covenant name of God, Jehovah, it would have been only consonants. It would have been, if we're using an English alphabet, it would have been something like this. It would have been uh, Y-H-W-H or something of that sort, Y-H-W-H. And then in order to say it, they no one can say that, right? It's like some of the, the names from the Czechoslovakia or somewhere. We can't say their names. There are no vowels in them. Well, this name was not something they'd say, and incidentally, they wouldn't say because they considered to be a holy name. And even when the scribes wrote it, they would go and cleanse themselves before they'd even record those consonants because they recognized the holiness of the name. But when we did insert vowels, it became something like Yahweh. And we inserted an A and an E and put an H in there, and it's some, so we could say it. And then when we bring it into our language, the, the transliteration of God's name, Yahweh, would be Jehovah. And Jehovah is simply the English way of saying Yahweh. And so when God said, Moses, you tell him I am sent you, he just is saying Yahweh sent you. I sent you, and I am. That cleared everything up, right? <laughs> you know, Jesus, while he was on earth, he identified himself as, as I am numerous times. The prophets saw it. Isaiah uh, 43 says, You are my witnesses, and my servant I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, I am God. I believe that that God who revealed himself, the one who was there in the beginning God, and the one who revealed himself to Moses, the one who revealed himself to the prophets, is the same God that we worship today. He is the only God. There's no other God like him, which is what, what Isaiah said. Jesus uh, called himself the I Am numerous times. Listen to this little excerpt out of John chapter 8. Familiar passage. He was speaking to the Jews. And Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Well, how could that be? The Jews said, you're not yet 50 years old, and how have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, before Abraham was, I am. Well, the people heard him well. They knew exactly what he was saying, because the next sentence says, so the people picked up stones to throw at him. They knew what he was saying. Jesus said later, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he was the I am of Exodus who was the God who was there at the beginning. If you read the early verses of John, familiar, if you read the early verses of Hebrews, it tells us that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same as the beginning with God. 
and all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made. And then a little later it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. Uh, so Jesus was their creation. He's credited with creation. Along with the Father, along with the Holy Spirit, they together created. And he is the I am of the Old Testament. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah God. I've had uh, folks knock on my door to tell me about Jehovah and inevitably, I have just kind of a standard response. And I say, I know Jehovah. And he's Jesus. He's my Savior, and I know Jehovah. And, of course, that usually ends the conversation. But uh, God uh, revealed himself as the self-existent one. The psalmist saw it. He said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains, before you formed the earth, before the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, Psalm 90. He is God. He's always been God. He always will be God. And he is dependent on nothing or no one outside of himself. But he's not only self-existence. The, the Bible reveals the God who was there as being sovereign. And, and that's a word that we use, sovereign. Sometimes we use it to describe human rulers. But... The word sovereign loses something in today's world, like most words. And the word sovereign means without equal, that there's nothing like this at all on this earth. And God is sovereign alone. Uh, it means supreme. It means unlimited. Um, let me give you a couple verses that speak of his sovereignty. Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power, by the word of his power, the sovereign God holds this world together. Colossians says a similar thing. He says he's before all things, and in him all things are held together. The old translation said, in him all things exist or consist. And so he's before them, but not only is he before them, he's the one that holds them together. He's the sovereign God that holds this world together and he's over it all. He's without equal. And, and he is supreme. The psalmist said, 118, Forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. Your word, your will, is absolute and it will be done. Paul, writing to Timothy, said this. This is a good word. Listen, it's good for us this morning. I'm reading out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. As I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who, who is his testimony before who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time now listen he who is the blessed and only sovereign the Bible claims for Jesus Christ, and Christ claims for himself that he is the only sovereign God. And once again, we can accept that, or we can reject that. Um, who was it that said that uh, when you look at the claims of Christ, he had to be one of three things? One of the famous theologians of history said this, and his name was escaped me. He either has to be a lunatic, or he has to be a liar, 
or he's the Savior. And really, those are the choices. Jesus was either crazy because of the things he said, or he just lied, or he really is the Savior. There really aren't any other options. Uh, he's lunar, lunatic, lunatic, liar, or he's Savior. And uh, anybody recall who said that? Help me out here. Who was it? C.S. Lewis. I think you're right. I believe that's correct. Um, so God is self-existent. He's sovereign. He reveals himself as that. But there's another word. This is a good word, folks. Listen to it. God is sufficient. He's sufficient. Well, that's kind of an incomplete statement because sufficient for what? Well, fill in the blank, and God is sufficient. Whatever you add after that, God is sufficient. He's up to the task. You know, when he created this world, he spoke it into existence. Astounding, isn't it? That he'd speak this world into existence. Isn't it amazing? And then he looked at his creation. And after he viewed it all, what did he say about it? He said, it's very good. He was sufficient for creation. He was sufficient to make the macro and the micro. He was sufficient to develop a cycle wherein the, the moisture could come up out of the seas and flow over the land and fall to the land and water the crops and then flow back into the sea, the hydrological cycle. He was sufficient for that. But he was also sufficient to develop the human eye. In creation, God is sufficient. He's enough. He understands everything that's required. He's always been sufficient. He's revealed himself as sufficient in the lives of his people. When you track the, the history of God's people through Scripture, for instance, Exodus chapter 12, they've been in oppression for over 400 years. They've been slaves. And now all of a sudden God says, set my people free. Was he sufficient to free his people from Egypt? And could he go to great lengths to see that it happened? Look at the end of Exodus chapter 12, and you'll see that he was sufficient. When you see that God's people were taken into captivity before rebellion, rebellion, and because they did wrong, they were taken into captivity. And he said, I'm going to deliver you through the prophets. Come to me, I'll deliver you. Was he sufficient to deliver his people? Was he? Did he do it? History records it. He's always been sufficient. He's always been enough. You know, it brings me to our life. So what's that mean to me? What's it mean that God was sufficient in creation? Uh, what's it mean that he was sufficient to deliver his people? Well, here's what it means to me out of 2 Corinthians. He said to me, and I've heard this call, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. God's claim today on our lives is that he's sufficient. People had to, by faith, accept the I am of the Old Testament. And people, by faith, today have to accept that God is sufficient. Is he sufficient? And, and have you proven him? You know, in, in Revelation uh, 1.8, in fact, I'm going to read a couple verses out of Revelation. 
If you want to track with me, you're welcome to turn there. Revelation 1.8, um, Christ uh, speaking to John on the Isle of Patmos, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who, wa who was, who is, and who is to come. Get that? I'm the Almighty, he finishes that sentence. I was, Genesis 1-1, I am today. But not only that, I am the one who is to come. Folks, one of these days, the creator of this universe is going to seize control of this world again. His promise was that he was coming back. He proved sufficient at creation. He proved sufficient to deliver his people. Do you think he'll prove sufficient someday when he comes back? Will he be sufficient? Of course he will. This is the I am. This is the self-existent God, and he's sufficient. Look in, in Revelation. Let's pick up a couple verses out of chapter 21. Let me read several verses, starting with the first verse. Listen to this. Uh, do you long for this? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That original creation is gone now. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5 says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The sufficient one speaks. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, they will have heritage. They will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then he speaks of those who are not people of faith, who have always rejected him. And he says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. For those who have come to Jesus Christ, the promise is life with him. The promise is that he's coming back. And for those who have never placed their faith or trust in him, who still doubt that God who existed, uh, then he says, no, they're not going to be with me. And you heard the description of their land. Then he says again in chapter 22, just one verse, chapter 22 and verse 12, the Lord's promise, listen, 
you can believe this. He said, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so that's the claim that he makes for himself. I am the beginning and the end. In the beginning, God. And in the end, God. And we're in between. And we can trust him. And we can believe him. Because he is self-existent. Because he is sovereign. And folks, because he is sufficient. And just like he can look out at that creation. And say, it's very good. One of these days, he's going to look at a new creation, and he's going to say, it's very good. And he's going to be their God, and he's going to walk with his people. I think the, the question that we ask ourselves, do you find the truth that God is all that he says? Do you find the truth that he is self-existent, and that he is sovereign, that he is uh, s sufficient. Do you find that truth comforting, or do you find it disconcerting? Understand what I'm saying? Do you find help in that? Do you find comfort for your soul, or do you say that means it's out of my control? That means I'm under the control of the sovereign God. Which one do you find it? Do you find it disconcerting, or do you find it comforting? I hope that you find it comforting. That's why Christ came. You know, Christ, the great sentence that he uttered that brings us hope, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. If you want to be in right standing with the Father, then we come through Jesus Christ. And I, I think the question Christ would ask us this morning is, do we know him? Do we know him? He says, come. You that labor, you that are heavy laden, come and I'll give you rest. And, and that's his plea this morning to us. That's his plea to all of us. Come and, and I'll give you rest. We're going to close in just a second and then we'll come back and, and sing for us. But do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And, and, and are you trusting him? Do, do you really trust him this morning? If there's something in your heart that you feel like you'd like to pray with others, why don't you come up? This would be a good time to do that. We'd love to pray with you. I'll have a couple of men come and help. And if you are not sure about your right standing with God, if you're not sure that you've ever really placed your faith in Jesus as Savior, this would be a good time to come. And you could settle that today. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, the Lord says. And you can know that. Nate and Derek are standing by, and I'll be ready, and we'd love to pray with you. Why don't we just take a minute now? Can we stand together for all that can? If you're not up to it, it's okay. Words are feeble and cheap, Lord, but you're not, and your offer is not. Your offer to people, to mankind to come, has been extended over the generations. 
all the way back in the garden you extended that offer. Lord, it's been from your hand to mankind since, and it is today your offer that if we come, you're waiting for us. If we come with our burdens, with our difficulties, with the hard things in our life, that, Lord, you are there and you'll take those burdens. I, I believe you're sufficient. Not that we are sufficient in of ourselves, but you are sufficient. God, we know that to be true. And if there are, are folks who need to make a decision this morning to, to trust you more fully or just want us to pray for them, Lord, would you move in their heart? If there's someone this morning who just isn't sure of their salvation, God, this would be a good day for them to come to you. Move in our hearts, we pray, as your people pray, and as we sing to you in Jesus' name, amen. Come if you would like to, to pray with us as, as we sing.